This is the November episode of the Wild Cumberland Podcast with Jess and Devin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Jessica, Executive Director of Wild Cumberland. And I'm Devin, a Wild Cumberland volunteer. We appreciate you being here. Our monthly email newsletter remains the very best way to stay up to date on issues affecting Cumberland Island and its wilderness. We'll cover some of that information here, but it is released later in every month. That's right. So if you're not subscribed, please go to our website, wildcumberland.org, and sign up right now. Okay, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's November already. And some of our friends and volunteers gathered on the seashore earlier this month. We had a great time. Oh, it was great. Uh, The weather was good. We work all year long to help protect and advocate for this place. So it was really special to be there together. I think we also really enjoy each other's company. Yeah, I would say that for sure. (laughs) But we're all uh, on the edge of our seats. We're nearing the end of the year, and we potentially could be impacted by another government shutdown or a government shutdown on November 17th. So today, in this episode, we're going to cover some big issues, some firsthand observations from our most recent trip to the island. And then there's one topic I really want to talk about in depth if we can get to it Devin and that's the seashore's cashless policy it's a big one we better get started should we start with the superintendent yeah superintendent Gary Ingram as you guys know departed the seashore in July of this year and I have an update there so uh, since our email newsletter dropped, we learned that the management vacancy was posted publicly. So actually the day our team left to spend <laughs> together on the seashore, um, they did announce that position and it will remain open until uh, the potential shutdown on November 17th. And Steve Theus has served as the interim superintendent since July. I hope I pronounced his last name I think right. think you got it right. Yeah. This is his fourth role as the acting slash interim superintendent for the agency. Now, here's a fun fact. Did you know, Devin, that Cumberland Island National Seashore has had nearly 20 superintendents in its 50-year history? 20. That seems a little unusual, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> that includes, of course, acting, interim, and permanent superintendents, but that, that's a pretty high number. Uh, most recently, it seems to take the agency about 12 months or so to fill those superintendent roles, but we'll certainly keep you posted on any developments as we learn about them. Uh, again, we'll be sort of waiting once that continuing resolution expires mid-month. 12 months. That's a wild hire superintendent it takes a certain skill set right yep so take your time talked a little before about the agency's struggles to retain quality employees so we'll see how that plays out on the ground at cumberland right and speaking of which the department of interior issued its formal contingency plans for the agencies just before government shutdown was averted last time right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so in october we did this once already um (laughs) and the the agency did release sort of uh contingency plans for blm nps all of the agencies that would be interpreted and implemented in the event of a shutdown so some of those sites have proceeded with creating a plan uh for a possible shutdown and what that would mean on at their park unit but others have not um and as you may remember there are of course Uh, probably 400 national park units, a little more than 400 national park units. Mm -hmm. And Cumberland Island is one of the, what, 200 that charge access fees. So not every park charges fees, but 
those that do are authorized to use some of those funds to continue certain operations, even in the event of a shutdown. So these contingency plans give the superintendents a great deal of autonomy to decide, especially at parks like Cumberland where they charge entrance fees, how those fees will be used in the event there is a shutdown. So um, we specifically, while Cumberland asked the seashore if they had worked on those plans or were willing to share any of them, but they declined to do so. So um, we're not sure exactly how a, a shutdown, a government shutdown would play out on Cumberland Island this go round. Yeah, we're definitely hoping for the best. And, uh, you know, we're waiting on some really big stuff that will affect plans already in the works or any new ones. Um, superintendent, national budget, so on and so forth. <laughs> some big stuff. <laughs> yeah, that could really affect all of the plans going on or in progress. But while Cumberland is pressing on and recently also requested documentation um, about non-conforming uses, which I don't know if everybody's familiar with that term and what it means, but remaining on this parcel. So if you recall, in 2022, the park received $8.7 million for, I think it was 173 acres that was owned by the Nature Conservancy. And they are acquiring, the agency is acquiring that land. Um, and we asked, what are the non-conforming uses remaining on that parcel that would prevent conversion to official wilderness right what, is, what exactly does that mean right <laughs> well right so what uses remain on that parcel of land that would prohibit mm -hmm. it from being designated official wilderness because um, technically once those non-conforming uses cease whatever those are for this parcel it would be eligible to be converted to official wilderness and increase that wilderness acreage on Cumberland Island so um I look forward to learning a little bit more about their intent for that parcel. We must remember in all of these conversations that despite the park being in operation for 50 years, they have never created a wilderness management plan, which might guide some of those decisions or give us insight right. into those things. Um, That's wild to me. So, yeah. But they did allocate a lot of resource to this visitor use management plan they shopped out last year. Mm, Several years that took. Tell me about that. Well, we expected a decision this summer, but that was around the same time our superintendent departed. So right. pushed um, everything back on that. We're one. waiting. We're just waiting. Yeah, and the summer seemed to go by really fast. This is probably the, one of the fastest summers that I've ever experienced. But the sea turtle nesting season officially ended on the 1st of this month in November. Yep, you can view all of those numbers, the types of nests, the total number of sea turtle nests, as well as how many were inundated by tides and storms or maybe even victim to raccoons and other predators for yourself anytime online at seaturtle.org and we urge everyone to do so. Um, this may be a good place to mention another thing we're waiting on, which is maybe a little more detail surrounding the $760,000 they received, the seashore received for um, an attempt to address that feral hog population. Right. So. I saw some hogs on the island. Yeah. This is my first time seeing some hogs. Really? It was great. Where'd yeah. you see them? Uh, it was off of the Nightingale Loop. Ah. Mm-hmm. I took the, the newly made uh, South Parallel Trail, met up with the uh, Nightingale and saw some up there. It was cool. Um, I was just with my wife and I and uh, what did you think about that new segment of the trail the south parallel yeah um it was it not was, to put you on the spot or anything, right but. 
it, we kept commenting and it stuck out like a sore thumb. It was very wide and I don't know if that was for a purpose or, you know, what actually entailed that, but the the actual trail was almost as wide as the main road. Mm. Uh, it was, it was crazy to me to see that, um, because the other parallel trail, I mean, you know, it's what? very narrow, right? Sure. Exactly. Um, so it, it kind of, uh, baffled me to see it that wide. I'm going to guess it may have something to do with accessibility uh, yeah. in that more developed area. Sure. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about some of the accessibility changes they're making in, in this episode. But, um, I did, I hiked it also mm-hmm. and was surprised to see they hadn't installed yet any benches or sitting areas the way that they have along the main road or yeah. other portions of trails along Cumberland Island, especially if, it, if accessibility is sort of, um, behind, you know, that connector to the south end of the island so um it's a tough walk because they cut all those palmettos and they're growing back up so you're you're like stepping over roots Mm -hmm. in a very active way the entire walk um or the entire hike so it's going to take some time for that vegetation to really get used to the impact of of humans walking through there it's going to be interesting yeah and who knows maybe they cut it wide in order for it to kind of grow back and uh, make a, a better more narrow trail i don't know who knows? Maybe one that no. Maybe one day the park service will sit down and tell us. Maybe right. we can have yeah. them join us here, and they'll tell us a little bit about their intentions. But the hogs were great. And speaking of feral animals, yeah, we need to thank those who participated in our feral horse discussion last month. Yeah, we uh, really we, do. We hosted a high-level overview of Cumberland uh, ecological significance and legislative intent, as well as the status of pending litigation on those feral horses. We recorded that session. In case anyone wants to check it out, you can find it on our YouTube channel. Just search Wild Cumberland. Yeah, if you're not subscribed, that's another way to stay in touch with the work we're doing. Um, And you can find that recording. But since our discussion, actually, about that, when we all joined together, uh, there's been an update. Judge Garrity has scheduled oral arguments on those motions to dismiss. So um, those are set for December 19th, about a month away, and will be held in Atlanta. So we should plan to have some representation there, and we'll be able to fill you in on our observations of those arguments. Um, But also related, again, to feral animals and feral horses. I want to mention that our organization also submitted uh, public comments on the Theodore Roosevelt National Parks Livestock Management Plan recently. So we uh, loved that this park management initiated this plan and sort of prioritizes naturally functioning ecosystems and native species and and our comments echoed that. So um, we supported uh, the complete removal of, of those animals and Uh, For anybody interested in commenting, the public comment period doesn't close until November 24th, and you can submit your own comments there. They seem to be moving pretty fast on those things, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think that situation is a bit different because it was an NPS-initiated plan, and they did extend the public comment window because there has been a lot of resistance in the local community to the cultural value of those horses. So, um, I mean, I've seen a lot of things, a lot of other things pushed through a lot quicker (laughs) (laughs) or without public comment at all. I guess that's what I meant. This is moving faster than what I've seen before. You know, I'll be curious to see the outcome. Yeah. 
Uh, there are some things at Cumberland Island finally moving along. Speaking of, yeah, things we've talked a lot fast, about right? things we're waiting, but let's give them some credit on the things <laughs> yeah, that are sure. moving along. You want to tell us what's going on? Yeah, those dock repairs being one of them that's finally starting to move along. Yay! On October 10th, management announced that Sea Camp and Dungeness boat docks, which experienced damage during uh, Hurricane Ian, I think right? I think that's yeah. right. In September of 2022, they're finally repaired. Yep. They were completed on Friday, November 10th. Yep. Great stuff. The recreational boaters are going to be really eager to use those to, and yeah. return to their normal level of access. For sure. And something that I saw um, on our trip down there, Raccoon Keys has also reopened. The seashore has reopened public access to Raccoon Keys, uh, which was officially closed to the public in May for delivery of the dredge material to grade the island roads. Yeah. Do you find any shark's teeth down there, Dev? I did not. I thought I found like a, <laughs> I don't know if sharks have molars or not, but <laughs> I thought I found a molar one and then my wife just told me that was a rock. So, um, but then again, I didn't look too hard. Okay. So. Um, there have been some accessibility changes um, in, on the island. Cumberland Island and the All-Terrain Georgia recently announced a pilot program that offers two electric all-terrain chairs, or ATCs, as they It's a new term for me, okay. Right. Um, they offer them to visitors with mobility impairments, including those with cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, spinal cord injuries, and lower limb amputations. That's... Fantastic. I love that they did that. In fact, we should point out that there will be a wheelchair charging slash storage station behind the water fountains at the Sea Camp campground. Yeah. So I posted a picture of this on our Instagram just to let campers know the compost bin has been removed and right. this charging storage area um, will sort of be behind the water fountains so people can watch out for that change. And we also posted that they were placing all of the bear bands, bear bear bands, yeah. bear bins at Sea Camp and Stafford Camp sites with another version, and they were. <laughs> Look, I I don't know how the 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 raccoons are going to get into these because <laughs> I had a tough time figuring it out at first. <laughs> <laughs> well, we posted a short video on our stories. It's true, the right side opens in maybe more like a standard bear bin but with a really tight fit you can't have very big hands i, I had a trouble <laughs> but then the left side you have to do this funny reach inside and squeeze and like a pinch yeah kind of deal and it it did confound some visitors i understand yeah. i'm not sure we didn't see a raccoon while we were there so no this was the first year that i did not see a raccoon or even hear one at that i just saw armadillos and hawks yeah um, but apparently so they're going to upgrade. So Stafford now has bear bins, which I, I'm not sure everybody was aware of. I um, wasn't even aware of that. Yep. Stafford now has bear bins and Sea Camp has had them for a while, but they're upgrading them to this new version. Right. And so I'm not sure what the difference is or why, but maybe again, the park service will join us one day and tell us. When did they put in the original bear bins? Shall Gosh. I ask? It's been at least two, maybe three years. I think. Okay. So two they were fairly new. Did you ever hear of any reports of like the raccoons being able to break into those? No, I, I just encountered people who, who put stuff close to the doors and were jammed out of their food mm -hmm. and, and needed help accessing their food. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I wonder if that'll be the same issue with these new bear boxes. Like, do you still have to keep it behind the line? Well, it's funny. My label said, keep it behind the white line, but the white line was not visible there. there was no white line <laughs> yeah. so you know if somebody was counting on that visual cue it might mm. might be troublesome but five inches probably a good leave it clearance right 
that helps. You'll, you won't go hungry if you're camping. Yeah. Something else that's changed at the seashore. When we were there and around St. Mary's early this month, several topics uh, came up repeatedly. Yeah. Uh, one was obviously the, the sea camp bathroom renovation, which I got to see for the first time uh, in person since they finished that. Um, people have a lot of feelings about this. Big feelings, man. It, a bathroom can can result in big feelings. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting, you know, I'm not sure that they ever spoke with actual users in any planning process. Um, and it's clear that they opted to renovate on the existing footprint mm-hmm. in order to avoid maybe that public engagement or any environmental analysis. Right. But they cleared a site large enough that they really could have expanded the footprint of the bathhouse substantially. And I think that's what I heard from most visitors is they didn't add any stalls. Mm-hmm. They didn't add any stalls. Right. And it's still the same three person. No <laughs> urinals for the men either. Just no, so yeah, you know, just, yeah. Just, yeah. From an accessibility standpoint. Um, we were surprised because the group sites can host 20 people each, you know, all together. You're looking at almost 130 people that could mm-hmm. potentially be in sea camp camping at one time. And you've got day trippers who are obviously making a loop and stopping off at the bathhouse. So it gets a lot of use. And I think longtime campers were disappointed to see that the park service didn't either accommodate for a larger number of visitor Mm -hmm. visitors using the facilities or putting in things like a place to, to warm your, your shower bags. You know, for a (laughs) long time there were these big cement um, slabs on the ground and visitors could throw them on there Mm -hmm. and everybody had a hot shower when they needed one, but they pulled those up when they did the renovation. And so um, there's not a place really for visitors to, to accommodate that level of comfort. Right. And uh, the, the water station still remains the same. Yeah. Water filling station remains the same. There are more outlets, but yeah, I, I did notice that. I'm not sure about the logic there. So on the outside of the bathroom, it's surrounded by electrical outlets. Mm-hmm. You just don't have anywhere to plug in your, your electronics and sit them mm-hmm. sort of. Right. On the, on the ground. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was torn on the bathrooms when I experienced it in person. Um, you know, the, the concrete sidewalks, uh, a little jarring. I feel like they should have made it a little bigger, if I'm being honest. Maybe that entailed more, you know. Uh, Environmental like you analysis. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, I liked the uh, little spots where you can, like, look out, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, they have one coming right out of the men's bathroom and one in the back of the showers that you can, that's just really open. I like that. Bugs do, um, too. It's, it's very bright. There's all a, those lights, yeah. you can see them like in almost every campsite. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a spotlight almost. I just remember thinking it was really bright when I was there. Even in our more urban communities, right, there's this very delicate line of of how do you uh, maintain safety and accessibility without right. doing harm to, you know, wildlife. The, animals and ecosystems Mm -hmm. around you and I mean it was bright I woke up one night I thought it was the moon but I realized it wasn't it was just (laughs) just the the bathrooms yeah Yeah. Hmm. and then while we were there the light in the uh, water area did not work right they had some issues with the electrical going on I'm not sure Um, I know they've corrected the issues at or fixed the issues at Sea Camp Ranger Station where the outlets weren't working yeah but yeah during the time we were there both the water fountain and the light um sort of stop working at different points. I sure. think they've gotten that resolved. But of course, yeah. if visitors encounter that as a recurring issue, we certainly want to know about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, not only for 
us, but for the MPS to, to fix, right? I just hope that the bathrooms are not indicative of what's going to happen to the Sea Camp Ranger Station because sure. the Seashore also received funding to renovate that Ranger Station. Mm-hmm. And my guess is it's going to be done exactly the same way, yeah. meaning on the existing footprint to avoid an additional engagement or analysis. And I think that, you know, we, sh- we might expect to see in the same quality of work and forethought in its planning. The other thing that we heard a lot about was the park's cashless policy. This policy was implemented over about a year ago, and the concessionaire or the, the ferry operator has since adopted the same policy. So now you can't buy a ferry ticket or a cold soda or a candy bar or any of the snacks or the firewood or anything without a credit card. No cash. Yeah. What you do know, you think about that? Well, our organization has taken a pretty strong position on the cashless policy from the beginning. But I was admittedly surprised by the number of visitors we encountered who expressed very vocal opposition also, even if they typically would use a credit card to visit the seashore or to book their reservations. They really didn't like having to walk up to the boat and not being able to pull a $5 bill out of their pocket mm-hmm. um, and get a bag of ice. Or, or they really had concerns about um, a couple different points. So, you know, we, we've asked the seashore for any cost savings that they might have received from implementing this policy a year ago and we were given some very high level sort of agency prescribed talking points that just talk about compliance and reducing an administrative burden um reducing accountability and transaction times things like that but our organization feels really strongly that the federal government just shouldn't be able to refuse its own tender (laughs) i mean that's like that's such a good way to put it i mean like (laughs) and there are a lot of reasons for that so i mean the, the implications from refusing cash are more profound and long lasting than lightening any ad- administrative burden on our federal employees. Right. Um, one, it's really bad for privacy. You know, when you pay cash, you receive goods or services immediately. There's not this middleman, mm-hmm. right? But when there's a middleman, they want their cut, but they also want to learn about you. And given the privacy laws in the United States, that's not always great. <laughs> right. Um, but second, it really does undermine any policy, federal, state, or otherwise, that we could create that would cr- that would allow more equitable access to public lands. So this is my soapbox, but <laughs> I, I don't mind taking the stage for a minute because there are almost 25 million people in the United States who are underbanked or unbanked. Now, and for my purpose, but also probably for the listener's purpose as well, what is the difference between unbanked and underbanked? I had to learn this also, but an unbanked person is someone who does not have or use a checking or savings account. Okay. An underbanked household is one that typically relies on cash or alternative financial services. So maybe payday loans or um, things like that, as opposed to traditional credit cards and and banking applications. Um, Now, nationally, only 4.5% of households are what you consider unbanked. Mm -hmm. But in Georgia, that rate is 7%. Oof. And then... Almost double. Nationally, 14% of Americans are underbanked. But in Georgia, it's almost 20%. Wow. So altogether, the unbanked and underbanked make up more than a quarter of Georgia's population, Devin. (laughs) And we're saying 
you, you can't, can't go into the right. parks now but here. it gets better it gets better because the people who are underbanked and unbanked are usually low-income households less educated households they are minorities, black, Hispanic. They are working age households with a disability. They are single mom households. So quarter of our population are low income and other marginalized communities that our federal government should be fighting for and helping to ensure that they have accessibility right. to these places. Um, Everyone should have access. Everybody should have access and a credit card should not be a prerequisite to get outside and enjoy our public lands That's right. in particular. Um, so we asked the seashore also if they had made any provision or policy uh, for people who do prefer to pay cash. Mm -hmm. And this is what they said. Um, we contacted numerous local businesses to set up arrangements to sell vouchers or prepaid visa cards, and no one wanted to participate. We will continue to look for options and continue to work with any visitor directly that contacts us if they are unable to make a cashless payment. So that quote to me sounds like, well, we we contacted everyone else and they to said no. To do that no. for us. Right. And <laughs> they they didn't want to no, do our job. <laughs> and we're not going to do it. So, <laughs> so right. It, I mean, that's even if they implemented a workaround like that mm -hmm. and you had to arrive earlier to the seashore for your visit to be able to go and go through that process, that's an additional burden right. that you shouldn't have to have just because the federal government is refusing its own currency. Right. In my opinion. I love that. That's such a good, great way to put that. Refusing their own currency. But, you know, here's the thing is it's not going to change unless people speak up. It exactly. can't be people just like us. If you have and you have opposition, to speak to the right people. Yeah. You got to talk to seashore management. Mm -hmm. You got to talk to the regional director, Mark Faust, just in case anybody needs that name. And you've got to talk to your elected officials. Um, in fact, there are elected officials in another part of our country who have introduced something called the PARC Act, which is the Protecting Access to Recreation with Cash Act. So we might watch and pay attention to where that bill goes and what kind of endorsement it gets. It is Republican sponsored. I'd be very curious to see where states like Georgia fall right. when it's decision time, yeah. given That's a quarter of our population is under or unbanked we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that for it sure. reminds me of that whole you know i've said this before maybe not on this podcast but on other ones what's popular is not always right and what's right is not always popular and i think we have a responsibility to speak up for what's right absolutely that was painful. Yeah. I want to know though, like, do, I mean, are we the only ones who feel that way? Surely not. Cause we heard from a surprising amount of people, a lot of people about the cashless policy when we visited. So send us an email, let us know. What do you think? Maybe we can talk about some of that again. And as you all know, we can't cover all of the topics in our newsletter in today's podcast. So be sure to check out our most recent newsletter to read more about the data that continues to demonstrate that most boats are speeding through zones established for the North Atlantic right whales protection. Yeah, not good news. Uh, another one, the potential end of the national parks traveler. Very sad. Mm. Wilderness watch challenged the MPS decision to cut trees and burn thousands of acres of wilderness. Yeah. You know, we're going to have somebody from wilderness watch joining us soon on an episode. That would be great. I can't wait for that. And the discussion about how the NPS's lack of transparency and it's unwilling to admit it was wrong. Yeah. Those are good reads. <laughs> yeah. Got to click so, back in your email to find those, though. 
be sure to check out our uh, November newsletter to read more about those topics. In the meantime, we'll have some special guests joining us in coming months here and can, we'll continue to dig into some of the most important parts of protecting Cumberland Island. We know how valuable your time is and thank you for spending some of it here with us. Our volunteers cannot do this work without your help. So if you value the information and services that our organization provides, including this podcast, please consider making a donation to support our work now at wildcumberland.org. Wild Cumberland is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and all donations are tax deductible. Learn more and take action at wildcumberland.org. The Wild Cumberland podcast is produced by Vertical River, and this episode was edited by Greg Cusson. Thank you.